Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here today. Uh, I don't know about you. I know it was a lot, of, a lot of rain yesterday, but I'm all about anything that feels like fall. And so it was amazing yesterday, but we're really glad that you came out today. Um, Stacy came up with me today. We're going to talk to you a little bit about what God is doing here at Crosstown through women's mentorship and an opportunity for everyone to be a part of. So let me just encourage you, just as you're here today, let God, throughout, whether it's at the service, whether the announcements that we're talking about, just allow God to speak to your heart. But I want you to hear about our mentorship program. Thanks so much. And as he said, I am Stacy uh, McLean, and I just want to take a second to share with you guys about women's mentorship. It's a year-long commitment, actually. We like to call it an adventure instead of a commitment. It just sounds better. <laughs> but um, we have registration open now. We've got someone that'll be at the back for you if you have questions about it. Uh, but I just want to, it's just an opportunity for you if you are a woman here and you want to grow in your relationship with God. You want to find out more about him through learning about prayer, maybe our emotions, because women, we have those. <laughs> hey, I got them. I got them. And, and thought life, we cover different topics. And then you also would get partnered with a mentor. So if you come in as a mentee, you get partnered with a woman who commits to walk with you for an entire year, praying for you, praying for your job situation, your family, wherever you are. And we invite women of all ages and all seasons of life to participate. So if you're interested, please see us at the um, info table at the back afterwards. Our division statement of Crosstown is to make learners, lovers, leaders in our relationship with Christ and the world around us. And, and mentorship kind of takes that real deep where we, the whole discipleship process happens. So let me encourage you, maybe this coming year that God is challenging to go, to go deeper in your relationship with God, this is a perfect opportunity and you will not be disappointed. And it's a fun adventure. And it's an adventure, <laughs> not Thanks. a commitment. That's Thanks. right. Thanks. Thanks, Stacey. Hey, also, we've got, um, we got something fun coming up next Saturday. It's our Trunk or Treat. We're, we're excited about Trunk or Treat. We'll have between five to 700 people that will show up. We give away free food, free rides, free candy. It's a great opportunity for us to be a part of our community. I want to encourage you. Today, I'm going to be talking about uncommon influence. But I want to encourage you to use whatever influence that you have to be a part of what we're doing. We are doing this to serve our community and also to get people to feel it's okay to be on church property. A lot of people, even when we had cars and coffee here a couple of weeks ago, some of the guys that drove in on, with their cars and it was a fun time were like, yeah, I've never been on a church before, you know? And, and it's like they thought the ground was gonna open up and swallow up their Mustangs or whatever it was that they were driving. And, and we just want to get people on the property, get people around people like you so that they realize that this is not something weird, that church and relationship with God is something good. So we invite you to be a part of it. You might have already signed up to do a booth. We could use your help in the area of serving during this, even, this evening and, and then also giving candy. You can swing by during the week and just drop off a bag of candy that will be utilized. But I'll tell you, the greatest way that you could give is to invite somebody. And then what's going to take place Sunday is that we're going to invite the children and we invite your children to wear their costumes on Sunday morning. Now, I know that you're a little bit nervous about that, maybe if you're a little on the older side, but um, after today's sermon, I think we can put, we'll put some of those doubts to rest. 
The idea is about using the influence that God has given you to bring about the grace of God in his life. And what we're gonna discover today is the incredible gift that when Jesus comes to earth, that God decides to step into the costume of humanity and all of its frailty and all of its brokenness and all of its weakness to bring heaven and earth together in love. And so what we're gonna be doing on that Sunday, this coming Sunday, is we're gonna make it so that, yeah, you could say, well, this is a crazy church, they got people in costumes in here and all that. That's whatever it takes to get children and families to feel comfortable around people of God like you we're going to take that step. So let me encourage you. Invite them to Saturday night and then invite them back to church on Sunday morning. So we've been in a series and we're closing this series out about living uncommon in common. And it's been about how we need to do relationships different, that we're not doing them really good in America. Um, I'm not doing them really good when it's just left to me doing relationships. Just because I'm a, uh, a pastor doesn't mean I'm good at relationships. But it requires all of us to make the decision to submit ourselves to God, to honor God with our lives, to present the way that we do marriage, the way that we do neighborhoods, the way we do race, the way that we deal with uh, the opposite gender, how we deal with people at work that we submit ourselves to God. And the Apostle Paul said it perfectly in Romans 12, verse one. He said, present your bodies, or the, the body of your work, as living sacrifice, holding acceptable to God. I mean, it's gonna cost you something. To give up doing life the way that you do it is going to cost you something. It's not going to be easy, but it's something that we present to God. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. That there is something really good that we can experience in relationships if we're willing to present them to God. So I want you to see, I'm doing it a little bit differently today, but I, I, I want you to see just how different a principle of Jesus, this uncommon way of doing relationship can have a positive outcome. And, and I'm use, going to use two different examples. One's going to be an example of the principle of Christ implied in a situation uh, that Jesus is not actually going to get mentioned, but we're going to see how the principle of, of heaven can work even when it's brought in in this type of situation, then we're going to see how it's going, it was used in a very explicit kind of way, where Christ was spoken about. So, I want you to see how an uncommon principle can affect people. Let's watch. And so there were 100,000 people in this stadium, beautiful stadium, by the way, that Dallas has. Um, so Portia and I were invited by Charlotte Jones. She's the daughter of Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, we went because we wanted to keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, so we get to sit in this very fancy suite because, you know, he owns the, the whole place. So his suite is, is fancy and he's got fancy friends. And I don't mean fancy like real housewife fancy. I mean like fancy. Look, this is, I took a video of who, who was next to me. Yeah, fancy. So 
So that was Portia, and that was Charlotte Jones uh, Portia was talking to, and George W. Bush, and then in front of us was the tallest man in the world. <laughs> and, um, so I've got to say, uh, when we were invited, uh, I was, you know, I was aware that it, I was going to be surrounded with people from very different views and beliefs. And I'm not talking about politics. I was rooting for the Packers, and uh, get this, everybody in the Cowboys suite was rooting for the Cowboys. And so I had to hide my cheese hat in Porsche's purse. Um, <laughs> But during the game, they showed a shot of George and me laughing together. And uh, so people were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? Didn't even notice I'm holding the brand new iPhone 11. And, um, <laughs> but a lot of people were mad. And they did what people do when they're mad. They tweet. And, uh, but here's one tweet that I loved. This uh, person says, Ellen and George Bush together makes me have faith in America again. And, um, Here's the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's OK that we're all different. But just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter. Even people who are already playing Christmas music. I mean, seriously, there's no excuse for that. But I'm kind to them. What an incredible example where even if Jesus is not mentioned, the power of uncommon wisdom at work is evident. The principle of God, even though it was kind of presented in a different way, wasn't from a pulpit, uh, what didn't, nobody had a Bible open, but yet that principle of God that Christ said, love one another, and when I said love one another, love your enemies as yourself, that when that uncommon way of thinking is, is used by anyone, we can see that everybody responds like, yeah, that's exactly what we need. That's what we need to take place in our society. But now I want you to see how an explicit uncommon principle of Christ. Now what I mean by explicit is like, now, this person is going full on Jesus in a conflict situation, and he's going to present this uncommon principle in a very intense situation. Let's watch. A powerful scene in a Texas courtroom. A man whose brother was shot to death by a Dallas police officer forgiving his brother's killer and embracing her. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself, I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. 
I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. That's, I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. And the judge also hugging that former officer, Amber Geiger, and giving her a Bible after sentencing her to 10 years behind bars for killing a neighbor, an unarmed black man, in his own apartment. She says she mistook it for her apartment and thought he was an intruder. Okay. Now tell me that's not what we need in America today. Tell me there's a better gospel than the one that Jesus preached. Tell me every marriage wouldn't be healed if that kind of power was at work, that kind of uncommon wisdom. I mean, these two videos are loaded with social contradictions. We have a gay person, you know, communicating the fundamental tenets of Christ. We have, did you happen to notice that this is a black man forgiving a white police officer? Did you happen to notice this is a black female judge forgiving a white police officer? I mean, we think that there are barriers that are insurmountable. We'll never get over them. We can never fix them, whether it's at home, whether it's in our society or in our culture. But what we've been given is two examples that when the uncommon principles of Christ are engaged by people who surrender the way that we normally do society, the normal way that we argue, the normal way we do church, the normal way we do, I mean, because I know even some of you, I, I know that some of you are like, I can't believe this church just showed an Ellen clip in the church. You know? It's like, but we gotta be people who are willing to submit the way that we think that it should be done over to God to allow him to do something uncommon in us. Breaking racial barriers, breaking hate barriers, breaking any barrier, whether it's the one that lives right next to you and sleeps in the same bed with you. And these are examples of uncommon influence resulting um, with the power of God affecting people's lives. But I think when we talk about uncommon influence, when we talk about the word influence, we tend to flow towards the word influential. And then when we think about the word influential, what do we normally think about? We think about wealth. We, th we think about maybe the 1%. But I think influence is all too common for all of us. And the common way that I see that influence goes in my life and how I have common influence, not uncommon, I'm more of like what my default humanity does, is it goes this way. I use influence for myself. And I use it to protect myself. 
I use whatever wealth, whatever influence, whatever position, whatever subdivision, whatever it is that I can possibly use, I must protect me and mine. And whether that's me personally or mine as my family or my stuff, I use my influence to fence in myself with protection. Too often, my influence always has a tagline attached to it. What am I going to get out of this? What's it going to do for me? How am I going to make money off of this? How is this going to make me famous? How is this going to, you know, in any way benefit my life? We tend to uh, mitigate our usage of influence based upon whether or not it has a buyback into our lives. We use our influence so that we can maintain control. We, we use our money or whatever it is, our position or our influence to maintain control in our life. And then the influence, if you have influence, you got to win. I mean, I mean, that's just the American way. If you have money, if you have stuff, if you, if you have power, you got to use it for yourself to win. That's the common way that influence is used. We use whatever advantage or position or resource to protect, benefit, control, and win at our lives. But that's not what we saw from our brother Brandt. You know, I don't know what the win for Brandt is other than Christ. Maybe a heart that's not filled with bitterness and anger for the rest of his life. But, you know, we look at influence as something that should always constantly benefit us or give us some sort of advantage. We use it as a fulcrum of leverage as opposed to giving it as a gift, not expecting anything in return. But God has given us as Christians a power of influence through his spirit and his wisdom and love so that we can bring change in other people's lives. And the thing is, is my influence and your influence is not determined on your level of success or your ability to help other people succeed. A lot of us today will say, well, I'm really not influential. I really can't have an impact. I don't have enough money. I'm too poor. I'm, I, I'm needing other people's help. Or, or maybe this, maybe I'm in a place of pain and conflict right now where I, I really don't have anything to give. And then the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2.1 begins to lay out some of the fulcrums, you know, like in a seesaw. It's, he begins to say, listen, every one of us have a fulcrum where we can leverage some sort of influence in another person's life. And I want you to see these little fulcrums that he, he talks about. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, okay, I think we can do that. If there's any comfort from love, I think we can do that. Any participation in the spirit, cooperating with what God's doing, if there's any affection or sympathy that we can give. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's like, listen, if we've, if we've got comfort, if we've got love, if we've got sympathy, if we've got the power of encouragement, you're influential. You have the, the ability to, to move how another person's life is leveraged and how another person's life happens. There's no mention here of financial resource or whether or not you are at the top of your career field. But rather, he's like, hey, you got sympathy? Good. You got compassion? Awesome. You got some love and comfort? Maybe a word of encouragement? He's like, good, because... 
That's the stuff that we were going to work with. That's the stuff that we're going to begin to change people's minds with. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. That is how change occurs. You know, I, I studied this, I looked at this a lot, and I've heard a lot of messages about how Christians can influence people, and um, we, we see a lot of movies like Blind Side, and, and a lot of examples where somebody helps another person in their career succeed, or maybe in a sport, or in their level of education, and we, we, we hear those really kind of big stories, and, and people always say, well, I, I, I owe where I'm at to somebody that gave me a foot up and gave me an advantage to, to succeed and, and um, particularly accomplish their hopes and dreams. But I want to take it a little bit differently today, and, and there's a reason for it. Um, because influencing people in a time of conflict seems to be more episodic and significant. You know, it, it seems to be that we, we can influence people in a conflict because those happen more. I mean, there are those times when you can help a, a painter become a great master of, of painting. I mean, there are those times when you can help somebody uh, achieve their athletic or uh, educational um, excellence. But I think that what we saw in the two videos that they had in common was the power of influence in conflict. And if we're honest, that happens more often. How we win and lose in conflict, and we've talked about that in the past, but that seems to be where we can exert the most influence is when, when people are in conflict with one another. It's what we loved about Ellen's words. It's what we loved about Brant's response. It's why Jesus said something like this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That's a pretty high title. I mean, to pull that one out. I mean, you could pull out, well, you know, blessed are you because you're going to heaven. Blessed are you because you're going to succeed at your work. Blessed are you because you're this. But then, like, Jesus kind of saves this one. You know, it's like, blessed are the peacemakers, the people who can influence culture for peace. He said, I'm going to call them the children of God. They're going to be like right from my own heart. They're going to be the ones that proceed from everything that I'm trying to accomplish on this planet and the world around. And he's like, that's where influence happens at its like, like, kernel level. You can use that in the agricultural uh, concept. Also, you can use it in a computer concept. Is that if you can help somebody in the area of conflict create peace, then they can sustain any other kind of success that they experience in their lives. But if you just help somebody become influential politically or athletically or educationally, but yet their lives cannot resolve conflict, well, then whatever influence you've given them crumbles right there. Jesus says, bringing peace in a conflict in relationships, bringing peace in a conflicted mind, bringing peace to a challenged workplace, bringing peace into a family, that's the influence of God. It's the influence that God wants us to have. So that I, when I was thinking about this, it, it led me to a book in the New Testament that most of us have never heard of. 
And I've been a pastor for a while, and I have never referenced this book in the Bible in all my years of preaching. Now, some of you are like, <laughs> you know, what kind of pastor is that? He didn't reference this book. I mean, okay, there's a, there's a couple books I might not have referenced, like, like uh, the book of Amos, you know, and, you know. The only thing I know about Amos is the chocolate chip cookie version. And, you know, famous Amos, I mean, I, that's, that's pretty much it for me. And you need to go to one of our small groups to learn more about Amos and one of the studies about the prophet. But there's this one book when I was looking at it, I'm like, where is this example of this uncommon type of influence? Where somebody is using their uncommon influence to change a very serious situation, like a marriage, like a society, Paul is sitting in prison, and while he's there, he meets a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. Now, Onesimus culturally has no future. First of all, he's a slave, and I, I can't break that down, what that means at that time, but, but he's a slave, but even worse than that, he is a slave on the run. So that means his life is forfeit. The best, most common outcome for Onesimus, what happens like 99% of the time for a slave that's run away, he's at least going to prison. Um, he probably will be tortured, and then the master or the owner of the slave could decide that he's just going to kill him. He's going to put him to death. That is common. That's what society would look at and just kind of like, yeah, that's what you do in a situation like this with somebody named Onesimus. So Paul, who's in the midst of his own adversity, uses the message of Christ to lead Onesimus to God. He gives Onesimus hope. This runaway slave that has no social status and who is doomed to die, he gives him the very hope of heaven, and not only the hope of heaven, but, but the idea of being more than just a slave, but being a child of God. An idea that he has never heard before, and he receives it into his life. But I want you to realize, this whole thing is taking place while Paul is in prison. If you're waiting to have influence when you succeed, you're letting your influence pass you by. If you're waiting to influence when your marriage is perfect, if you're waiting to influence when everything at home is right and your budget's perfect or your body is perfectly healed, if you're waiting for that, you're missing probably some of your greatest moments of influence that you'll have in the life of another person. Here is the Apostle Paul sitting in prison and I don't know about you, he's sitting in prison and God's not getting him out. So I'd be kind of like a little ticked at God. I'd be influenced by the negativity of my circumstances. But the Apostle Paul says, no, I'm going to allow heaven to influence me. And I'm going to influence anybody who comes across the bars of my door. I'm going to reach out with influence and I'm going to try to give hope to him. And sure enough, Onesimus somehow makes his way past the cell of the Apostle Paul, and Paul reaches out with him with the influence of hope, compassion, and love. That's uncommon. So he gives it to him, and Onesimus receives Christ into his life. But now, Paul wants to, to send Onesimus home to his master. It's like, whoa, there's no way you're pulling this one off, Paul. I mean, I got it. There's no way you're going to send him back without this man being 
killed in the process. Well, that's where we get the name of this little book called Philemon. Because it just happens that the Apostle Paul knows Philemon. And it just happens that the Apostle Paul, on days previous to him going to jail, has already influenced Philemon with the message of Christ. He had reached out to this master weeks, maybe months earlier, and shared the gospel of Christ and introduced Philemon to the brotherhood of Christianity, the family of God, the children of God. See, Philemon knows that he owes Paul his very soul. I I love this. Because in America, when you ingratiate somebody, a customer to yourself or a client to yourself, you know you have power. You give away a free widget, a free car, a free device, so that the customer will be like, well, I've got to do business with you now. You have ingratiated me to you. I'm kind of, and and so in America, we use this power of ingratiating somebody to ourselves for for our own leverage. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. The Apostle Paul is using the exact same technique, but he's not going to use it for himself. He's not ingratiating himself to Philemon and also Onesimus, and it's going to say, listen, I'm going to work a plan that's going to get me out of prison. No, Paul remains right there. So let me ask you again, influence may have passed through your bank account. Influence may have passed through your heart, your soul, the position that you hold, where you are in life. When you have that advantage, what do you do with that advantage? The apostle Paul says, I got something up on Philemon. I led that guy to Christ. He owes me. So now we're gonna find out how Paul uses influence how he uses advantage. Paul wants to see the common changed into something uncommon. See, so here's what we have. We have Onesimus and Philemon, and we have the influencer in the middle. And that's who you are. That's who every one of us are. You could put somebody else's name there. You could put, you know, a, a racial issue. You could put... Uh, a, a sexual issue. You could put anything left on the right in, in opposition to each other. But we have been put in the middle of it. Isn't that what Christ did when he came to the earth? He stepped into the middle of an oppositional equation. And he stepped into the middle of it to influence us, to do something, to live something uncommon. And so the Apostle Paul is like, I, I, got something, I want something uncommon to happen. Paul wants forgiveness to win, like we saw with Brandt. Paul wants humility to win. Paul wants brotherhood to win. You know, he doesn't want this just to be a slave conversation any longer. I mean, this is worse than America 150 years ago. Let's be honest, America 50 years ago. The Apostle Paul is sticking his neck out into a system that it will always get chopped off, but he's decided, no, I'm going to use whatever influence I can to change the equation. So using uncommon influence, he writes a letter and he sends it with Onesimus. And and let me just read to you it so that you can hear some of the elements that we need to have in our own lives. he, He opens it up with a nice salutation, 
You know, Paul's smart. He knows if you're going to try to get somebody to do something they don't naturally do, you got to blow a little smoke. I mean, you got to, you got to, you got to like, oh, my good buddy, Philemon, it's great to hear you. He knows. He's smart. But here's the thing. It's the difference. Is that manipulative? It's manipulative in the sense that it's connecting two people together in love before God and heaven. Now, if you call that evil, then I think maybe we, we need to redefine what the word manipulation is. This is not self-serving. That's the evil version of it. But yes, when God sent Jesus into the manger, that was a manipulation of time and space for the purpose of bringing forgiveness and, and the power of influence. So, so the Apostle Paul starts off with a great salutation, but listen to this. In verse one, chapter one, verse eight, he says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, he says, I know I could, I could tell you what to do, but that's not the kind of culture he wants to create, where we're commanded. He said, but yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. He wants Philemon, the master, to get it. Not just to have some law from, from Congress demanding it. He's like, I want you to own this. He said, for love's sake, I appeal to you, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ. I appeal to you for my child. Wow. The language of getting close to a, an outlaw slave. And he's willing to call him my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. That's the power of influence, is when you bring somebody who's an outlaw by any other terms, and you say, hey, I love you, like Brant did. He's like, I don't wanna say rotten, go to hell in jail, like my brother did. But he said, listen, I, I, I wanna do something uncommon and something different. He continues, he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I will break that down in a second. He goes on, he said, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. I mean, the Apostle Paul could have arranged so that Onesimus could be free. He could have arranged it and said, listen, okay, Onesimus, run. But I think we've learned in America that a slave on the run is not somebody who's free. So the Apostle Paul said, no, we, we, I, I want to do even, if I can do it even better in this situation, I want to change the status of this human being. That's influence. When you change the status of another human being, and that's what we're called to in the gospel. So, he says, I want it to be done by your goodness, Philemon. And that's what God's saying to you and me today. He's like, you know, I could command you to do this. I could give you, you know, 10 more commandments. He said, but I would rather it came out of your heart. I'd rather it would be the compulsion of love in your life. So he, he continues and he says, for this perhaps is why he has parted for you for a while that you might have him back forever. And here's the power of influence, the idea of influence. No longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother. 
Hmm. Changing the status of relationships in America. Wouldn't that be powerful? You see, Ellen pointed it out. I mean, even two diverse ways of thinking about life sitting in the same, sitting next to each other, both liberals and conservatives together had uh, rebuke for that video that I showed you. You know, so he says, I want to change the status of things. No longer as bondservant, but more than that as a brother, especially to me, and how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He's like, yeah, he's going to continue to work for you. He's going to, he's going to do his job, but I want you to treat him differently. I want, and, and I love it, it's not even, not even employee. It's not like I want you to go from slavery to capitalism. It's like, no, I want you to go from slavery to family. Can we have any greater influence on this planet than that? So he finishes up. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has done you at all wrong um, or he owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. You know, he's like, dude, you owe me. I mean, I, I brought Christ to you. You owe me this. See, sometimes that's the power of influence. It's like, no, I'm not using this leverage for myself. He's not, he didn't say, get me the heck out of prison. He said, no, I'm asking you to take this man back and change his status from bondservant to brother. I don't want you to kill him. I don't want you to torture him. And I don't want you to imprison him. I want you to do something uncommon in the sight of all society. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Wow, this is influence. In the midst of a prison cell, in the midst of pro-slavery culture, in the midst of a criminal matter, Paul connects the lost to God, and then he connects the found to each other. And he connects them to each other as brothers. I can't imagine any other greater influence that the people of Crosstown, the people of this church, the people who follow after Christ could have than this kind of influence. And it doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're a doctor, doesn't matter if you're sitting in prison, doesn't matter if you're sick, doesn't matter wherever you are, you have the power of influence. Marriages need it, communities need it, families need it, businesses need it. I, 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 as, as we're kind of moving through this, let me, I want you to see a little word play that happens that the Apostle Paul uses when he's describing this uncommon influence. Paul says about Onesimus, he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Now, useless is not some coldly uh, word that he's using referring to Onesimus being a good slave. It turns out that Onesimus' name in Greek means profitable, useless, I mean useful. That's what his name meant. 
So the Apostle Paul, as he's talking about Onesimus, starts using the word useful and this idea of useless. What I think the Apostle Paul is doing is storyboarding the journey of every one of us. There's a point in our lives when we lose our purpose. We get confused, we sin, we compromise, and we lose our way. And even though we have the image of God on us, and it has been stamped into each and every one of us that we are to have purpose, that there's a point when every one of us, if you've been living, any, if you've been living 20 years, you know there's a point when all of a sudden you feel useless because of something somebody else did to you or something you've done in your life. You lose your sense of purpose. You lose your sense of identity, your Onesimus. And the Apostle Paul says, I know he, he lost his purpose, but now that he, the loss has been found, he has now got his purpose back again. And you need to rediscover that. That is what God has called every one of us to do, is to help those who have lost their identity rediscover their identity in Christ. There is no greater influence on this planet that you can have. And I don't care if you could heal, heal every cancer on this planet, every illness, every social ill, but if we leave people unconnected to their identity in God and to discover their purpose, then we have used our influence in the wrong way. Paul is saying, listen, this guy was once profitable. He lost it. Once I was blind, he says, now I can see. Our job is to restore that into people's lives. We all have this power of influence. Not because we're wealthy, not because we have high positions, not because we're at the end of our careers, but because we have an uncommon influence of grace and we have been restored to God. And our call is to restore people to God and to restore people to people. You may look at something like trunk or treat as a waste of time, maybe of church money. Or maybe it's not very Christian because there'll be too many characters dressed up like, like wizards and, and Snow White and you may think it's inappropriate to allow children to wear costumes to church on Sunday. But I think you can see that it's about us using our influence to connect people to God. It's about using your influence to invite, to volunteer, to give, to at least cheer. To cheer that somebody feels beloved, that somebody finds home that somebody finds God. We don't realize, and I think we need to look at it, that when, when Jesus came to the earth, um, it was not a compliment to Christ. The second person of the Trinity, in all of his majesty, comes and he puts on a costume, uh, puts on humanity. But I need you to realize that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, don't he, they don't speak Hebrew. But 
mankind did, so God spoke Hebrew. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit don't have two arms, a head, and two legs. But in order to walk among us, they took it upon them. God took upon himself even the most vulgar elements of humanity. Why? Because his goal was to use uncommon influence to connect people to God, people to purpose, people to one another. And he was willing to do it at any cost. So I, wherever you are, you may feel small, you may feel great. You may have a big bank account, you may have nothing to account for. But you do have a position of influence if you have grace. If you're here today and you don't know the grace of God, today we invite you to receive the love of God through his son Jesus Christ, who came to earth to connect your hand to God the Father so that you no longer would be enslaved, but so that you could be son, so that you could be daughter, so that you could be child of God, so that, so that the disposition and identity of your life will never be the same. So that one day, like Brandt, you could connect another human being to the love of God. That's what we wanna be about. That's what God calls us to be about. So as we come and receive the bread and the cup, I know we do it so often, we do it every Sunday and it's almost routine, but God moves the fulcrum so that you and I could have relationship with him and it came at the cost of his son. So let me encourage you, step into the place of being influenced by God so that you can be influenced for God in other people's lives. Father, as we enter into this moment of prayer, this moment of giving, this time of communion, God, we enter into the very work of influence. You are, through the Spirit of God, talking to each and every one of us, rich or poor, healthy or sick, educated or uneducated, white or black, male or female, young or old. And you want us to be first influenced by grace so that we can become influencers of grace. So Father, as we go to our places of expressions, a moment of prayer, a song of worship, a time of communion, a time of offering, God, fill us with the spirit of your love, your spirit of your influence. We thank you.